right, welcome to episode seven of the Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. My name is Christian A. Stetler, and I'm a professor of social work at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And this morning, I am broadcasting live from Auk Bay in Juneau, Alaska. And as you can see behind me, it's been snowing, kind of rainy, drizzling, wet snow all morning long. And I think I've only been here for two springs, but this time of year in Southeast Alaska, you kind of got to flip a coin every morning to determine whether or not it's going to be spring or winter for the rest of the day. Just in the last four days, it's went from sun beaming through, beaming through my windows, warming us up, flowers blooming. The next day it froze, and the next day it was spring again, and now today again, it's snowing. So, you know, I was, I was thinking that, you know, maybe the weather in southeast Alaska needs a social worker or a caseworker to, to help them iron things out. But anyway, it's a southeast Alaska party this morning. We have two guests, Cass and Forrest. Cass is in Sitka, and Forrest is just outside the town of Craig on the Prince of Wales Island. And I'm also blessed with two co-hosts this morning. Deb is in Ketchikan, and Heather's here in Juneau. How's it, Heather? Good morning. I'm happy to be here and excited to get on with the show. And uh, good morning to Deb. How are you this morning? Good morning. It's... uh... A beautiful day at the moment. It was just hailing a few minutes ago, and uh, we've got that spring weather that Christian's talking about. Um, so uh, glad to be here today, uh, introducing um, one of our guests who lives in and works in Craig in southern southeast Alaska uh, as a social worker. She graduated last year with her BSW and social work from UAF. Welcome, Forrest. Can't wait to get into it and hear your stories. And I'm going to introduce Cass. Cass is from Sitka, Alaska. She is a UAF BSW graduate. She'll be graduating this semester with her MSW from UAA. Cass has worked in the field of social work for many years. In fact, she has one of her research articles published, and we cannot wait to hear from her. All right, all right. Thank you for those introductions. We got a great episode planned this morning, and I can't wait to get down to it. But as always, there's a few things we got to cover first. Yes, this project, The Critical Social Worker, is supported by the Social Work Department at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. However, we want to be clear that any opinions expressed on this podcast, be it by hosts, guests, or listeners calling in, do not necessarily reflect the values of the Social Work Department, College of Liberal Arts, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, or any of its affiliates. The opinions and ideas shared belong to the speaker alone. Thanks, Heather. And that is important. We can be opinionated folks sometimes. And so if you don't like something that one of us says, then I would advise you to take it up with the individual, or you can even address it during the podcast. There's a chat room, and you can also call in. Um, our opinions are our own, and they do not represent any other organization. And with that being said, Deb, do you mind sharing our mission statement as well? Not at all. The Critical Social Worker podcast unfolds unique stories and diverse perspectives to foster critical dialogue, empathy, and understanding for all listeners. Through storytelling grounded in social work values, we aim to change ourselves and the world one story at a time. All right. And one of those underlying themes of that mission statement is obviously the idea of telling stories. 
So we're going to talk a lot of story today. And we here at The Critical Social Worker believe that each individual is multi-layered with unique life experiences. And we want to help unfold some of these layers through storytelling, stories that we can learn and grow from, stories that help build critical consciousness. And a big shout out to UAF for offering a distance delivery model specific to rural Alaska students to earn a BA with an emphasis in social work practice with rural and Alaska Native populations from our home communities. Right on. And if you want to know more about the Department of Social Work at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, just uh, do a quick Google search. Just search UAF Social Work and it will take you there or you can find them on find the department on Facebook as well. But what about you? Do you have a story to tell? Are you interested in coming in the sh on the show as a guest to tell your story, to share your stories? If so, then please hit me up with an email at castetler at alaska.edu. Again, that's C-A-S-T-E-T-T-L-E-R at alaska.edu. Do you enjoy the Critical Social Worker? If you do, please support us by leaving a review on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. You can also make sure to follow the podcast on Call-In, the Call-In app. Right on. Thanks, Deb. And just to add to that, like I was saying, if you're on Facebook, look up the Department of Social Work. Uh, that's a good place to find out about the podcast and, and stay updated. Another place you can find out is searching on um, Instagram for a conscious party. And both those links should be in here uh on this page so with that being said i think it's time to get this conscious party started for real hey yo everyone gather around it's story time brought to you by the university of alaska fairbanks department of social work and a conscious party productions you are listening to the critical social worker a revolutionary storytelling podcast a conscious party Revolutionizing our minds. Elevating our consciousness. Changing our worlds. Your story. My story. Our story. All right, all right. I'm going to tell a quick story. When I moved back to Alaska about a year and a half ago, just before Thanksgiving, um, we got this house in the forest, as you can see behind us. It's, right, it's actually meshed between the forest and the sea. It's in a little place called Ock Bay, out the road from Juneau, Alaska, about 20 miles from downtown Juneau, Alaska. And if, if you're not from Alaska or not familiar with Alaska, if you think about the map, I think in school we're all taught about the panhandle that comes down the eastern, the southeastern side of Alaska um, and comes along, connects to Canada. Well, we're at the, in, here in Juneau, we're at the top of that pan, part of that panhandle, connected to the continental mainland. But um, as you can, again, as you can see behind me, we're surrounded by fjords, islands, glaciers and mountains. In fact, I don't know how far you can see behind me, but the island over there has the most uh, grizzly bear or most brown bears uh, per capita in the world, I believe. So uh, lots of wildlife around here. And if you've been tuning in over the last couple of weeks, you'd hear me sharing quite a bit about my interactions with the natural world here. Uh, there's bald eagles everywhere. I mean, seriously, I could walk outside and spot like 50 of them in a minute or two. They're everywhere. Um, there's big old ravens that follow us around, speaking to us in their unique language. Sometimes they yell at us if our cat bunny is with us and they chase him away. Uh, there's a raft of sea lions that passes back and forth every single day, um, at least during the winter time. And just this morning, they were out there fishing, diving for clams or something behind our house back here behind me for a few hours. 
But the story that I really want to tell you about, um, it began with a dream that I had shortly after moving here, moving back here from Hawaii. At that point, I was feeling a little bit gloomy. It's always a struggle to move somewhere new, and a little bit of loneliness and anxiety about our situation was creeping in in my life. Um, and anyway, about one night, about two months after I moved into this house, I was sound asleep, and I had a dream. I dreamed that there was a beautiful humpback whale outside. And at that point, I had never seen a whale out here yet. There's a lot of them here in the summer, but not so many in the winter. And it was breaching. In my dream, it was breaching right outside my window, outside the house. And it was incredible. It was like this humpback whale had come into my dreams deliberately just for me. And the whale was filling me with good spirit and encouraging me that all was well, encouraging me to open up my heart, stop worrying, stop stressing. And it was really a beautiful experience. I felt uplifted and empowered in the dream. And then, right in the middle of it, of this amazing dream, my beautiful wife woke me up to tell me that she had to go to work and I needed to look after the children. So I woke up a little bit disgruntled from being interrupted from my dream. I went downstairs, you know, it's still dark in the morning in Alaska in the wintertime. I was grumbling to myself, drank the smoothie my wife made me, started on a cup of coffee, you know, and Don's coming over, the uh, ocean's starting to light up a little bit. And I looked out to the sea, and uh, I noticed there was a little island that hadn't been there before, and it caught me off guard. I was still waking up. But then the island disappeared, and then it reappeared again just a little bit further away. And this time I saw a spout. So I grabbed my scope, and I was uh, determined to find out, to, to see that whale. And uh, after uh, a while of trying to locate it with the scope, I determined that, indeed, it was a humpback whale. And that humpback whale stayed in this little bay behind me for like two weeks, going everywhere. It seemed to be riding the currents, bubbling up some kind of food to eat. Um, but anyway, I had the ultimate privilege of spending a couple weeks with that majestic humpback whale, and it brought me hope and strength to push forward and to look at my situation from a different lens, from a new perspective. And I felt kinship with the whale, and ever since then it has had me considering my relationship, or as a human's relationship with the natural world and our animal relatives. So... Um, like I said, I've made a deliberate effort to reduce those artificial barriers between me, my family, and the world outside our home. The natural environment, the trees, the mountains, the glaciers, the berries, the fish, the eagles, the sea lions, and the seals, the river otters, the bears, the porcupines, the orcas, the porpoises, and the humpbacks. They've all contributed significantly to my life and my family's experience living here just in between the forest and the sea. So before we get into social work, some of this deeper stuff, Considering that Forrest and Cass have been here in Southeast Alaska much longer than I, I'm wondering if you both might be able to share a story on your relationship with the natural environment. Maybe a story about kinship in animal, with animals um, that you can share. Um, yes, I have always been uh, in tune and sensitive to the animals, the nature, respect for nature. Uh, I had wonderful grandparents, aunts and uncles that taught me uh, respect. Uh, in times of meditation, uh, when something happens that seems significant, uh, with, I'm killer whale, so I'm always watching for killer whales, and I have stories growing up where uh, the killer whale uh, went behind my beside my grandfather's boat when we were taking uh, my mom's infant cousin 
that passed away, they were taking her body back to Angoon. the boat and followed the boat, his fishing boat, all the way to Angoon. And when they entered the harbor in Angoon, the um, killer whales parted. And so I always look for moments like that. And uh, another story, not too long ago, when my mom and I went for a drive about five years ago, we saw there was a killer whale spotted out by Silver Bay. So I Um, just as we came around the corner uh, to the bay, I said, Mom, it was right out there. And just then that killer whale breached. And I said, no, here. So I'm always watching for moments like that. And I just am so blessed to have grown up in Southeast Alaska. Yeah, thank you for that, Cast. What about you, Forrest? Do you have any stories? And we can't see your background. It's pretty whited out. But I'm going to move my camera and hopefully, whoops. Well, maybe I won't. Um, maybe I won't. Um, there it is. So this is where I live. And um, this is um, on Prince of Wales Island, the west coast of Prince of Wales Island. And like people from Ketchikan call it the west coast. And um, it's Prince of Wales Island. And I live five miles outside of Craig on Port St. Nicholas Bay. And I've lived out here for over 32 years. And so... Um, I've been so, I mean, blessed and fortunate, don't even describe um, that um, my feelings about being able to be here and raise my family here um, daily, um, surrounded by a multitude, the list of wildlife that Christian was able to pop off the top of his head. But um, being um, this time of year, I'm going to pick um, a story about herring because the weather that Christian and I think Heather described, Cass and I are also experiencing. And once it's this time of year, we're able to call this crazy, wacky weather, fish egg weather. And so what's happening out here that Christian and I think Heather described, Cass and I are also experiencing. And once it's this time of year, we're able to call this crazy, wacky weather, fish egg weather. And so what's happening out here as we speak, like literally, is people are getting in Southeast here as we speak, like literally, is people are getting in Southeast, getting their boats ready, getting branches ready, the hemlock branches ready um, to place into the ocean by the shores where the um, herring are going to spawn. Um, the herring will spawn naturally on kelp and on the branches. And you're allowed only um, by fish and games rules so many pounds of kelp and you're supposed to have a permit, but you could have unlimited branches of these um, fish eggs. It um, comes alive. And we're so fortunate because we do have wildlife year-round, but this time of year, the whales come back in force, and the sea lions really come alive, and the birds are very active. And the and then this these um, huge, massive schools of herring come in, and it's crazy. Fishery um, 
and to have very thick eggs. And so um, anyway, that's what's happening this time of year here. And as a family, we've um, always done a lot of cultural and um, traditional food gathering. My husband, who's been deceased for darn near um, nine years now, um, gathering. So this time of year, we'd be real busy. And the quick story I'll tell is, um, you know, this time of year, my kids would know this anticipation, and I would just show up at the school with um, me and my fishing gear, um, and, you know, boots in hand and a raincoat in hand or whatever um, for the kids. And I would just look at their teacher and say, I didn't ask permission. I didn't stop at the office. We were in a hurry. Their dad is down on the skiff. We're leaving. Um, we didn't necessarily camp out, but we'd be out from like 4 or 5 in the morning to like 10, 11 at night. And sometimes we would camp and, and things. But my kids, we pulled them out of school for the fish egg season. Um, it was just a given. And like I said, I didn't ask permission. I just had time to go. And my was on so and just such a wonderful time of gifting um, eggs to the community to a lot of family would come over to help in the harvest to a lot of community um, eating of fish eggs um, I'm not saying I don't like eating fish eggs alone but it's much better shared with a table of family and friends so there you go we're in fish egg season and um, in South I have one follow-up question, and either of you or both of you can answer this, uh, especially for our for those of uh, our listeners that aren't have never been to Alaska or are not that familiar with Alaska. You ever you have any stories of a bear trying to join the table or take off with some of your food? Um, not so much. Yeah, no, I have bears when we do um, working on fish all the time at the smokehouse. Um, always on bear alert, and some years are worse than others. Um, and, uh, um, oh, definitely have had bear come up on me picking berries and stuff. Um, out on the um, herring grounds, um, when you're just in a little skiff and you're in a whole raft, like you say, of sea lions, and they're hungry and they're actively wanting the same fish eggs as you, definitely intimidating. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Or the eagles dive bombing if you're picking up your kelp or your branches and the eagles are actively dive bombing. Like like you say, it's not just five eagles. It's like a hundred massive eagles dive bombing the herring. Yeah, a little spooky. Yeah. <laughs> or whales coming up. Yeah.
emphasizing talking circles and how they changed me. Um, so I don't want to get into my side of it too much for now, other than to, you know, reemphasize that the talking circles were completely transformative for me and changed my, uh, the trajectory of my life and the way I thought about the world forever. Um, and it's still changing it. And uh, I had the privilege of sharing that space with Cass and Forrest. I don't know, was that 2015, maybe? 2014, 15, something like that. And um, it was just an incredible experience. And so I kind of want to turn it over to both of you all. And you, you two can go back and forth and, and I can, we can contribute if we need to. But I was just wondering if you could um, talk about the, the Rural Human Services Program, um, what it did for you. Maybe we can try to help our listeners understand what it is. It's a, it's a different concept than many people have ever participated in as it relates to higher education or education in general. Um, but there's several different components. There's the talking circles. There's the idea of, you know, um, so rural human services. It takes people that are trying to obtain degrees in social work or human services and fly everybody in to Anchorage, Fairbanks, sometimes Bethel, I think, for two weeks at a time at the beginning of the semester and then at the end of the semester. And most of the learning and the teaching is done, like I said, through talking circles um, and other methods similar to that. And then another element that's important that we should talk about is, you know, having elders in the classroom. Um, and I know that both of you have went on beyond this and are now co-teachers in these rooms. Um, so I was just wondering if you all could talk about your experience and what it's meant to you and, and try to give our listeners an idea of what that is. Um, yeah, I can go and I did do my homework um, quickly as we started the podcast because I forgot. And um, RHS, like Christian says, stands for Rural Human Services. And it's on the Interior Alaskan campus. And it's part of the College of Rural and Community Development. So if you do look up this program, um, if you just actually type in Rural Human Services, it'll bring you to all I just said. Um, and actually, Christian, we um, in the B BSW cohort, we did the intensives for the two weeks in the beginning at the end of the semester. But remember, RHS, we went continually. We went a lot for a week at a time, like every three weeks. You know, you were back up at RHS for a week. So we were actually um, gone in these intensive cohorts quite a bit through the RHS experience. And um, I'm going to point my camera, hopefully you get adept at this. Um, oops, I kind of blew it. But anyway, I'll pick it up. Um, I'm currently beating a feather um, because I just retired um, for about a day. And then I signed a contract um, to do some contract counseling with our local uh, um, Prince of Wales Health Network. And anyway... Um, you know, that'll be a group type of situation, which to me is kind of like a talking circle. And so I'm beating a feather um, so I can, um, for me, I need the feather to be able to conduct the group. <laughs> so um, so RHS was a real eye-opener for me. I got sent there because I worked for an Indian Health Service um, medical corporation and um to become a uh, drug and alcohol counselor, you go what a certificate. 
And what that certificate does in the BHA program is makes you kind of automatically a, a behavioral health aid one or two, and you can translate that over to the state accreditation of um, a CDC, a chemical dependency counselor, um, and your RHS. program. And so like um, Christian said, the delivery of education was very different. Myself, um, which is really odd with my background, my last formal ed grade of education was the sixth grade. And until I hit the RHS program, I'm now going to be 64 next month. And um, we did Um, anyway, um, the delivery was so um, different that it really did akin to who I am and my, my soul and spirit um, because instead of just a bunch of teachers or professors talking at you, we learn together. It, the, the playing field, there's a difference. But the playing field was level. Um, I didn't feel like I was talked down to or, or just like this vessel to be filled with their information. And they really were able to meld the Western way of teaching to um, the Alaskan way and especially a focus on indigenous way of being. So that really um, me very well. Um, we um, got very close as a class because we were together in these hotel rooms <laughs> and it was kind of a, a lusty little life because you'd live in the same hotel where you went to school and got fed three meals a day. So um, we were treated pretty well, and um, but it was intense. So you kind of needed that type of care um, to be able to get through these intensives. And uh, one thing Christian pointed out, in any boardroom in life or any classroom or any group setting is having that elder in the room. Um, something about that, even if they're not feeling well and don't speak that day, or um, it really didn't matter. Having that elder in the room just changes, um, just changes everything. I, I can't even put it into words, but just brings a calmness and, and you do feel, I don't explain it, but, um, and maybe Cass could um, be more eloquent on that, but um, and the relationships um, that the that we have had with the elders, and when we'd come back from not seeing each other back into the cohort, that elder made me feel like I was the most special person on the world, and they just did it to the person ahead of me, and they did it to Cass who was in line behind me. So, <laughs> you know, these elders just had such a way of. Um, making you feel so welcome and loved and um, and uh, and safe, you know. The um, like Cass says, we were one of the cohorts. Um, one of the first things is that kind of work through our own baggage and and stuff. Um, then how could we really be a use to other people? Um, and so therefore you have a group of 10, 11 people in this very intense situation, 
now also burying their deepest, darkest secrets and souls that they really even haven't um, together collectively in this room, sharing and caring and healing. Um, pretty powerful stuff. So um, I think I've said enough, and hopefully that um, gets us along the path of what RHS is. Cass, on to you. Okay. Uh, she was the oldest. She had her master's degree in social work and inspired me by the work she did. Uh, her job that she retired from was from the Pioneer Home. She was the director, administrator for um, Pioneer Home in Sitka, Alaska. And after she passed away, I just... Uh, when I started the... R well, the RHS program is a grant that comes out of the state of Alaska that uh, organizations can apply for. And I thought, well, I'm working at Search. They have the grant. They've had it for over 20 years. And so why not work and um, take a slow track of getting my social work degree? Um, the first class that we started out in was interpersonal um, development. I think um, within the first 30 minutes, all of us were um, teary-eyed or crying because uh, one of the first steps in becoming a social worker is that we need to heal ourselves before we can help others. And um, obviously, we all had a lot of healing to do. Uh, and it, we were in a cohort where we had the option as a class to do go up to uh, Fairbanks once a month or go every other month for two weeks. And we opted to do every other month for two weeks. I think we were the only cohort that did that. Uh, we had um, classes like a process of the community and the values of the Alaska Native people. Um, and, oh, and one of the classes that I reflect on the most was addictions, uh, interventions, and treatment. And that was with Professor Ann Brainerd. I think maybe you might have been in that class too, Christian. I don't think and, I Okay, so the first, the introduction to that class was she wanted us to give up something for the whole week. And we were all um, having our arguments with our playing a game on our phone or addiction to chocolate or addiction to pop or coffee. And we were rationalizing and it was a really good experience because we were able to connect with what our clients go through when they don't have a choice, they're giving up something. And, and so we all decided what we were going to give up and it was pretty enlightening. Um, and so and we learned about mental illness, uh, oh, and grief and healing. And so I think for RHS, that whole um, process was about healing and beginning our journey. Um, crucial um, 
education and applying it to our own lives, we wouldn't be where we're where we are today or doing what we're doing today. So, and I am so thankful for all my professors. I still. I need education. I need him to look over my assignments. I, uh, Diane McCachron is my mentor. I send her my assignments. I get on with her through Zoom. And uh, I'm just so grateful that I'm able to reach out to them and get their support. And I always call on Forrest. Forrest is my heart, you know, come on. And uh, if I get behind on my homework, I hear her saying, get at your computer and just do it. So um, she's my back. Well, Cass and I were roommates. We were roommates for um, all this experience um, for over 10 years. People from my cohort, um, even after all these years, like Christian, even though our time together was kind of short in some way.
something you do one-on-one with a therapist because that's why Elanon works so well because, oh, or, or suicide prevention, when you realize you're not alone, that uh, you have someone else that is experiencing the exact same thing that you are, then, oh, I'm not alone in this. That person and that person and that person is feeling and experiencing what I'm feeling right now. So then you create a group where you can dialogue with each other and give each other support and you're not alone. So. Yeah. And part of that idea is, you know, like we've, it's came up a few times in this conversation already is in a traditional classroom, you know, you got the teacher who comes in and everybody sits in a, you know, a grid and the teacher delivers their lecture or whatever, and the students are supposed to take it and maybe they get tested on it later. But in RH at rural human services and, and, you know, the, the social work, the BSW uh, social work cohort, you know, it's not, it's not like that. There's a, the professors, the teachers, they share their power. And so, like you said, it's equal playing field in the circle, but also in other elements of the classroom. Not saying that the professor doesn't come and provide information because they do, that's what they're there for to some degree. But there's this sharing of power. So everybody's on equal footing. And then you all mentioned the support that everyone's able to provide for each other. And that's just not students for students or professor to student, that's everyone, everyone's involved. The elders, the professors, the co-teachers, the students. And so I was wondering if you all could talk a little bit more about that. How did how do RHS students, for example, how do you all support each other? How do we support each other? Um, you know, because you mentioned uh, one thing you mentioned is, uh, you know, group therapy is better than, you know, individual therapy. And you mentioned in a group setting, uh, grandmother Rita Blumenstein, she said, but she said that the talking circle is not a therapy session. It's you know, it's a place for us to share our experiences, our stories and whatnot. And so I think that speaks to what Forrest was saying is that, you know, you don't respond directly to when somebody's talking or just what somebody says. The, the uh, feathers got to go around the circle and you talk when it's your turn. So it, it kind of prevents or uh, limits people's ability to react. And, you know, oftentimes we want to be reactionary. We want to respond to people. But in RHS, it's this equal value of sharing where everybody is equal and you know no matter what you have to let you have to let and respect somebody else's time and somebody else everybody else's space and everybody else's time so i was just wondering if you could talk about that how does that support you all how did um you know as comparison to like you know i know cast is in a different program right now like how does that contrast do you want to go first well, yes, you cast because now you're in the UAA master's program. So how is that classroom contrasting with the classrooms we we experienced in our cohorts? Um, so I am currently at UAA. Uh, and I think just because of different organizations, the... I do get good support from UAA, but it's not that elder in the classroom. Uh, it's just a different environment. And so I, I am still connected with people. And so is Forrest from our RHS group 21. And we advocate for each other. So like just recently, I advocated for one of my classmates um, in doing research and what her parent 
um, rights were for advocating for her child. And so I got to add it for one of my competencies in my um, learning contracts. So um, being able to do like uh, what you would do for an intake or an assessment and what are the wraparound services and support that um, she can get for her child. Uh, there's been other times when, you know, I talked earlier about trauma we experience. We reach out to each other and we're still there for each other. Um, whether it's something to celebrate over or it's something that, you know, we mourn with them for what they're going through. And I think that answers the question. Yeah, and, and to further that a, a little bit, I think, Cass, is um, that the support came um, because we did... Because for one, we've been in college together for almost 10 years together. This was not the quickest path, uh, path of college. So I could understand it might not be for everyone. But most of us were working full-time jobs at our demanding. Um, most of us were um, parents of, you know, at least one, if not multiple children, plus living in areas that, you know, do have a lot high incidence of trauma in our personal lives and the community. So, um, you know, so this worked for us and it is kind of weird to think of that 10 year chunk of time. Um, but, and if you would have asked me, I would say, Oh yeah, I was in school for a couple of years. Cause you know, time is kind of a construct, <laughs> you know? So, um, but that I'm able to lend such meaningful support to people and still like, like Cass says all these years, um, going forward, because um, some of these people I haven't been in school with for eight years now, but we've continued this close relationship. And that's because I have learned their stories on a very intimate level. I probably do knew things about them that their children, spouses, parents, siblings don't know, or even best friends. Um, I've experienced um, some pretty critical life events with these people, usually. Um, I know what their triggers are. I know what if they have a drug of choice. Um, what their um, what that might be. Um, I also know maybe their learning styles. You know, um, Cass is going to respond to me in a different way than Christian will. So I know a lot of these nuances about these people because we did live and learn together in such an intimate way. Um, and then you know, also like, um, thank you for re um, mentioning Rita. Um, I've spent a lot of time with Rita Blumenstein, who we just lost oh, about not quite two years ago now. And she's also one of the 13 grandmas. Anyone out there, Google the 13 grandmas because that's some real cool stuff. Um, anyway, um, you know, somehow with these Ritas and these Luke Tituses and Elizabeth Flagels um, and, um, uh, you know, these wonderful elders we met in Bethel, um, what's her name, Green. Um, Esther. Anyway, um, pardon? Esther. Yes, thank you, Esther Green, and, and, I'm, and I'm leaving out so many wonderful ones. When I'm talking to my classmate and giving them support, they're not only just hearing my voice or whatever, those elders are on my shoulders for them, too. I carry... I care, I'll always carry those elders with me now. So they're not just hearing Forrest 
yak, 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 or cast to your homework. No, I'm invoking Esther to cast. I'm bringing a little piece of Elizabeth with me to cast or Luke to cast. So it's, you know, I don't have all that power to help cast, but I have this power of this cohort behind me to help cast. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you very much. Um, well, we're moving on in time, so I have a couple more questions for you. But I want this for this one. I just want to ask, which, what are you all up to? Um, it's been a few years, you know, since would I say we went through 2015? So it's been what seven, eight years? Wow, eight years since then. Um, you know, what are you all up to? What's going on in your lives today? What are you, especially in, in regards to social work? Um, I'll take that on. Um, I I um, left working with Search, the same company that Cass is still with, in a um, um, addiction counselor position, a behavioral health aid. And I'd gone up through the whole behavioral health aid chain, which is a good topic for you to cover sometime also, um, Christian and the CDC and everything. But anyway, um, and so I, I left that organization and I kind of too quickly, because I was hoping for a little time off, got another job with the local tribe as a tribal court coordinator. And anyway, I won't go too in-depth with that. And I did that for the last three years. And um, and I, like I mentioned at the beginning, I just retired. And I signed another contract a week after <laughs> my so-called retirement. And I'm going back to what I do love. And it's um, tribal court is a lot in a social work field because you need a huge amount of social work um, in a tribal court, a drug court, um, to make it work. Um, but our tribe isn't in that. Um, we're still very much in the contemplation, um, preparation on the <laughs> um, um, cycle um, with that, which is fine place to be. But anyway, I'm going back directly into, I'm going through the SMART Recovery Program, I'm becoming a facilitator. So I'm doing um, that training as we speak and um, we'll be delivering some, it's called the family and friends is where they decided to focus on. And it's kind of like um, smart recoveries, Al-Anon, so to speak. And so I'm really excited. That's like I say, why well, I'm doing the feather and I'll be doing it in like smart recovery colors, blue on blue. And uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm really happy to be um, providing some counseling services again. And they're pretty excited. I'll probably through them also get my CDC so I could provide a much needed service in this state right now. And I can do some alcohol, drug and alcohol assessment because that's really um, blocking people from getting services now. They just can't get the FaceTime with a person to get an assessment, let alone get services past that. And then I just also did a four hour training yesterday to be a peer reviewer for grant applications, um, specifically Alaska Native um, federal grant um, that funnel through the Anchorage agency um, to do with um, a lot to do with economic and language development and those kind of things in Native communities. So that'll be really uh, a, a good way to give back to the community looking through these grants and um, you know, hopefully getting people awarded these, uh, you know, critical programs throughout Alaska. So those are some fun things that I'm doing with. And I feel pretty limitless, by the way, with my degrees. 
throughout Alaska. So those are some fun things that I'm doing with. And I feel pretty limitless, by the way, with my degree. I don't feel like I'm hedged in. Um, I would love to maybe work on some curriculum. Um, even before I got my bachelor's, um, before I got my bachelor's, um, myself and one of my RHS instructors, I've already um, did a, um, a class course for UAF. And I've already developed a class course on Blackboard. Um, I wouldn't mind doing some more of that or some curriculum that is more in line with, um, you know, the, the indigenous lifestyle in Alaska. Um, so there's many, many directions I can go in. I, I could be doing a lot more co-teaching and presenting right now. I personally don't want to travel much. I just don't, I'm just, it's funny because I just don't, I'm just, it's funny because I'm known to be a traveler and I'm just not into it. So I'm really fortunate to have these local opportunities to, to get back into some counseling, giving back to the community type of thing. But if I wanted to travel, I know these opportunities are right there for me too. I could be in contact with any of my old instructors and I could probably be co-teaching or um, helping them create curriculum. So many, many um, fun areas. Um, don't box yourself in.
banner like like Miss America wears, but it was uh, made out of it was made out of um, skin or it was made out of uh, materials. And everybody in the village knew that that person was somebody that can help them, whether it was with food, clothing, um, shelter, you know, the basic, the basic skills. We knew who those people were. And so I think it's in my DNA that I'm on this journey that made me my great, great uncle, great, great aunt, you know, they were social workers. Um, we just didn't call them that in our society, but they knew they were helpers. And so taking that to now, um, I have had times, when, oh, and oh, okay, so one skill I use a lot is think before you speak, think before you act, because you can't change what you say or do. And so I do that a lot. And so I'm just going to just go broad with organizations and social work, uh, that it's a tough field to be in. Uh, we all experience secondary trauma because we've experienced trauma ourselves. That's why we're in this field. It's because we want to help other people. And it, when you're in a work environment where you feel like you're not being valued for your skills, who you are, um, all this work you've put into it, it feels volatile. So I'm being, <laughs> I'm being, um, vulnerable here and sharing my own experience. But in each time that I've been in a situation where I feel like I wasn't valued for who I was, I wasn't valued for my skills, I wasn't treated the way that I wanted to be treated, it made me better. Um, because I took that experience and thought, what can I learn from this? How can I become a better social worker? How can I become a better advocate? How can I become a better friend, a better community member? And this always came back to me. My mother always said, there's three rules in life. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Because you can be kind and think about it. But if we do what we want to do and respond the way we want to respond, it's going to come back on us. And, and the best thing you can do with an experience in the workplace or in a community is, or personal, is to um, see what you need, what can I learn from this? And uh, Christian, you also mentioned, um, I don't know if you mentioned it, maybe you, you kind of uh, talked about it a little bit, is that I think of many organizations because of requirements of federal grants, state grants, um, it's all about billing and numbers. And I mean, a counselor has to see up to like 30 clients a day. How can you have, how can you possibly have quality time with your client when insurance billing is, um, overpowers that? And so um, I really love working with people. I'm intuitive. I like hearing their story and um, problem solving in my mind. How can I put together a treatment plan with goals and objectives that's going to meet this person? But then I also have to think about the notes for billing. And um, I think that's why I'm so drawn to um, political social work, because it's doing research. It's finding out how can I support a community or how can I support the state of Alaska 
and I'm covering, I'm, I'm covering more and hopefully helping to support people that are in those positions. Uh, but I think we need it for the state of Alaska and the statistics we have on suicide, domestic violence, um, substance abuse. We need to get back to quality care where we are listening to our clients. We are helping them on their journey. And uh, notes are important, numbers are important. But when the group gets too big, we can't focus on, uh, we're just putting band-aids on everything, right? But if we have a smaller group um, and we could fo focus on their personal needs, we're going to be better ad advocates and we're going to make more measurable progress with our clients. So, okay, that's it. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and I'm sorry to pose the difficult questions. Um, one, I just had two thoughts I wanted to, to say before I turn it over to Heather. Um, you know, it's like, I feel like the RHS, you know, the talking circle, the circle, is a, it kind of epitomizes the situation because I feel like, you know, if I was even to look at you, Cass, or you, Forrest, you two individuals, and I say, these are two very complex, unique individuals that I see as this circle of, you know, um, intersecting between their life, your life experience, um, your culture, your, uh, your education, everything. And, uh, and, in, and sometimes in social work, instead of, you know, creating a position that would work for you, which would I think would be the logical situation, the logical uh, method, Instead, we create these little boxes and you say like, okay, we need to hire this, these people. Well, cast doesn't really fit evenly in that little teeny box, if that makes sense. And you uh, deserve more and it would, be, uh, it would be a higher quality of care to allow you to be yourself rather than trying to shove you into a box, um, if that makes sense. And the other side of that was, you know, you mentioned like insurance companies and billing. I think that that's, that also epitomizes the state of social work to some degree, at least the professionalization of social work in that insurance companies are dictating what kind of services people can get and how they can get served. And so if you think about, you know, just some of the histories, the traumatic histories that have happened here in Southeast Alaska that I'm still learning about, uh, the people of Southeast Alaska deserve a little bit more care and attention as well as the social workers that serve those, that serve that, those people. Um, insurance companies shouldn't be deciding what services they can or can't receive, in my opinion. Um, yeah, with that being said, I want to turn it over. We're a little bit past the time I wanted to go, so I want to turn it over to Heather. Mike's yours, Heather. All right. Well, um, Kath, I just wanted to thank you for sharing all that you have um, and some of the things that you said really spoke to me, and um, it sounds like you have a lot of wisdom. Can you talk about... It sounds like you practice self-care and you make sure you embed it um, into your practicum and um, your work life and your, your personal life. Do you feel like spirituality um, plays a factor in that? And does that make sense? <laughs> well, I grew up in a Christian home. And I'm not ashamed to say that uh, Jesus Christ is my higher power. Uh, and that 
I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have that spirituality, that connection that guides me. Um, I'm also very connected to my culture spiritually and um, taking those moments, whether it's in nature or just meditation, thinking of my ancestors and, you know, what would they do? Um, but that is very key. Spirituality is key in my day-to-day activity. Activities and um, even in my job, even in thinking, where am I going to be when I get done with my MSW? And I am just, I'm not really afraid of saying what I said. Like when Christian asked a tough question, um, is this going to is this going to affect me not getting a job somewhere, or is it going to open a door for me <laughs> to get a job somewhere? I'm very transparent and knowing that my higher power is in control. And when a door opens, it opens. When it closes, it closes. I was not meant to be there. And so my trust is in spirituality, my higher power, and I will be exactly where I'm meant to be. So, yes, spirituality is key for me. I actually did a PowerPoint on um, self-care for one of my uh, assignments and I just gathered information from my classmates to participate in what they do for self-care and uh, put together PowerPoint. I think it's important important for social workers. Right. And what do you do for self-care? Me? Mm-hmm. Are you still talking to me? Okay. Um, well, I think before I speak, think before I act, uh, and that's, I think that's common for Alaska Native people because you'll see when you're talking to them that they pause. And it's because they're thinking about what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. And so I think that's part of our culture. I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of uh, breathing, uh, the um, the box breathing uh I do some exercises, uh, probably you're not familiar with it, Shalom My Body, in, and it uh, is an exercise that helps you to calm your vagus nerve, um, that fight flight, when um, that actually by doing these exercises, if you um, go through those moments where you're triggered, it's just not as intense as it was in the past. And um And then another thing that I incorporated this year is that I would spend so much time at home in my office doing homework and I didn't take enough time with my family. So I'll just give you an example. Like uh, my four-year-old granddaughter walked in the door as I was in my office doing my homework and I can hear hear her little voice saying, where's Mima? And uh, I thought, okay, it's time to take a break where I wouldn't have done that before. But I stopped what I was doing, went downstairs, and I said, Mima's right here. because She calls me Mima. And we spent about a half an hour together. That was my break. So um, unscheduled break times that when you can take that moment away from your education or work and spend time with family, um, I've spent more time with family this year for self-care. If I need to do that, we need to take care of ourselves. Cool. And then I just have one last question. Um, and I'm just interested in hearing a little bit more, but you said that you apply for the cultural healing position through search. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit more about that position? Yeah, I haven't seen a position like that before. It was actually pretty detailed, pretty uh, pretty intense uh, as far as the job description. And I thought, okay, I could do that. I can do that. I can do that. I need a little bit of help shadowing with this because I'm just coming out of my MSW, but I know I can do it. And so... Um, I was surprised to see a cultural healing position and it shows where, um, where I think um, organizations throughout Alaska are maybe getting a message that, okay, we need positions that are really focused on uh, the cultural value, values and healing of our people in substance abuse and trauma. And so it, you know, whether I get the job or not, I, it just looked like a job that was written for everything I've gone to school for. And I was pretty excited to see it. So. That is cool. I'm glad to see that they're opening up positions like that in our communities. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing. And I I'm going to, unless you have anything else you want to share, Cass. Is there anything um, that sticks out to you? Yeah, just the title of this group, Navigating the Alaska Frontier. I think that's what we've all in RHS been learning to do. And the more educated we become, it's uh, it really is learning uh, the different cultures and how to navigate through the system and, and help people that are on a journey of healing and recovery and because um, Alaska is different demographically and and um, culturally so and I did hear when I when I did join a group in um, when I was working under the meth suicide prevention initiative grant for search um, joined a native meeting group uh and it was i remember one of the ladies saying that she said i don't like the word resilience she said i like tenacious because tenacious means i'm digging deeper i'm i'm digging to the roots and i'm being more aggressive with my uh, my road to recovery and so um, I use resilience and tenacious, but when I really want to get to the roots of something, I said, okay, let's get tenacious about this. Let's really get to the roots and make it happen. So I like tenacious too. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you <laughs> for all of your sharing. Much appreciated. I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Deb. Hey, do we still have um, Forrest with us? Okay. Um,
somebody's stamped a mark on them and we could bill for them now <laughs> is about the only difference. So, um, um, and, uh, um, and, and Vicarious, um, I don't hold people's trauma in a bad way. I just let it flow through me. Um, and if anything, it just is kind of my nature. I'm always like, oh yeah, that kind of sucked. I'm sorry that happened to that person, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I could get wrapped up into that ugliness or that deep plate, that dark place, but I'm always, I'm kind of like a little puppy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What can we do next? You know, and then you have to be careful there because you always have to meet people at their level. So I might go, oh, we'll get them a job. We'll find them an apartment. We'll get them a car. And this person just wants to get up the next morning. So, <laughs> you know, they just want to be able to open their eyes and, and, and maybe take a shower. So yeah, that's one quick thing you have to be careful is meeting people where they're at. But I always meet it with a hopefulness. And what can we do from here? What What is our next step? Because we sure as hell ain't staying in this spot because this is kind of that. This ain't fun. <laughs> oh, let's get this back on track somehow. And that back on track, you just have to remember, might look a hell of a lot different for me than it does for you.
Yeah, so true. Wow, thank you so much. I guess we have some questions that uh, are call people are calling in. So I'm going to hand it back over to the professor. All right. Well, we don't have anybody yet, but uh, oh. I put it in the chat and. Um, it's time for questions. So if you have a question, please write it in the chat or queue up uh, within the college. We don't have that many live people here. So, all right, we have one from Alexis. Um, she says, Cass, I was wondering, do you take any time between getting your BSW and going back to get your MSW? No, I went right into my MSW. You happy with so. that? <laughs> I guess one thing I one thing I would say though is because like Forrest mentioned we've been in school for 10 years and so I thought I'm doing the advanced standing I'm doing I'm doing it in a year and I'm just going to get it done I wouldn't recommend that um, because I went from taking three classes to five classes it was really stressful overwhelming and that's why I extended to December because um, it was just too much. I would recommend the two year or even two to four year. Uh, so I did want to take on to what um, Forrest said about, um, oh gosh, I'll get back to it. about it I, I would just gonna add a little context you know if you think about the advanced standing msw program it's really great in the sense that you know it can get people through and get them into work uh which is what many people that you know you're going for a master's in social work but if you think about it you know five graduate classes each semester two semesters back to back plus a practicum um, a, a graduate level practicum how many hours a week do you do 20 Uh, 20, 20 hours, hours a week. Um, well, it's 16 hours minimum. You can't do more than 20. I've done up to 25 with approval because sometimes you'll have weeks where you're doing nothing just because there is nothing. And then like right now, I could easily put in 30 hours a week because now all the information for my competencies is coming in and I'm like writing them all up and um, sometimes you just don't get it till the end of the semester. And then, um, there was also, um, going right into my BSW, uh, was, um, a comment on needing to take a break. Uh, 
So one thing about your BSW is it's an accomplishment and it's great getting your BSW and Forrest has been fortunate to be able to get these contracts and retire, but that it's not the same for everybody. And I remember our professors saying that when you get your MSW doors open, like there is so much opportunity and I'm finding that now that I'm getting to the end of my MSW, it's like, well, I could do this job. I can do this. There's so, so many opportunities, but I also am leaning to like, Hey, that's really cool. What force is doing. Maybe I can just contract, you know, and work home. But, uh, I, I just, Oh, yeah, I'm looking at other degrees. I'm looking at an indigenous law degree. Also, a um, couple more masters, uh, master in indigenous law, and then a master in healthcare um, management. I just think I'm an education junkie, and I'm never going to be able to stop going to school because I, I love learning. Um, I have also looked at getting my PhD. And it's important to me because as an Alaska native, uh, I think there's a lot of people that think they can't do it. I'm 60 years old and uh, I was on the school board for 18 years on AASB for five years, Alaska Association of School Boards. And I would tell people, if grandma can do it, so can you, because there's never anything we can't do when we put our mind to it. So. I'm just telling myself, sure, I can get a PhD. <laughs> um, even if you feel like you can't, uh, we try. And uh, I never thought I would get my MSW, but here I am. Uh, so. I'd love to see you with the PhD, Cass, and I think it would be great for you and for everybody else. So, hope Dr. That Buck sounds pretty cool, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sure. well um oh i have a i got a question through text somebody said that they uh have been alicia said that she lost connection but and i thought this might go with what you know you wanted an indigenous law degree and i was curious or well curious and along with alicia's question she wants to know you know if anybody what you think could be done by social workers to change you know what comes some of those systemic issues we were talking about uh, with, you know, recruitment and lack of support in Alaska, what can social workers do within? And, and I was curious too, like with your indigenous law degree, do you, would you plan on using it for anything like that? Yes. It makes me reflect on a class that I'm taking right now. It's advanced policy practice and upside down grassroots and how change happens and, um, getting to your um, people that can tell their story that tugs at your tugs at your experience, what you're experiencing, for example, as a social worker, and then you get nonprofit organizations and organizations to collaborate with the message of, hey, things need to change for social workers. We need to have a better, uh, we need to have a more appropriate work environment and um so that we can really meet the needs of our people. And so I really got drawn in by upside down grass roots and how change happens by local to state to federal. So um, 
I like going down bunny trails too. So I think I just went down a bunny trail, but <laughs> I think I was still on track. You're so. good. Um, well, we are approaching the end of the podcast. And so uh, I just wanted to give both Forrest and Cass, both of you a chance. Do you have any last words, anything else you want to say before close it up? Thank you for us. Thank any you. La any last words, Cass? Um, yeah, if anyone is thinking about uh, the field of social work and the RHS program, it's the, I couldn't have done that, done it financially without uh, the support of RHS. And I would have missed out on the opportunity to meet so many wonderful people. And I just encourage anybody that is thinking about it to do it. And, and uh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to be in Juno. I'm going to be in Juno the middle of April, uh, April 17th through the uh, 24th. I'm a delegate for Kinkit and Haida, so I'll be there for the, um, the annual convention. So, please go ahead. <laughs> okay. Who's there? Who's there? Oh, I'm scared to say hippa who. That was a good one, and I didn't expect it. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Cass. I mean, thank you, Forrest. 
And thank you to you too, Cass. And please uh, connect, let's connect when you're in Juno if you have any time. Um, okay, I think yeah. I'm going to the BSW cohort on the 24th, but I'll be there for the first part of that. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to give uh, both of my co-hosts the opportunity to Deb and, and Heather. Do you have any last words? No. Thank you for letting me join. It was fun. Yeah. Th thank you both for everything and, um, and all of you. And um, I was going to say, if you're up for Clinton and Haida, um, look for Helene Simpson. She's from KIC where I work in Ketchikan. She'll be there. So I, right. I know there's going to be a lot of people there, but <laughs> maybe I'll have okay. her look for you. <laughs> Thank All you right. Well, um, I, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank everybody for coming on. Um, Forrest, I'm going to reach out to you about an idea that I have. I didn't, I know I was going to ask in here, but I'm going to wait and I'll email you about it, about, you know, maybe helping me with some curriculum and see if I can get a, get some money for that and see if you're interested. So I'll reach out to you and then, um, Cass, something that you kept mentioning that just was ringing through and resonating with me when you kept mentioning, you know, when to keep your head up when a door closes, you know, it's not the end of the world. And in social work, that's often the case. It's been the case in my life several times uh, where an opportunity that I really wanted or something that I really wanted to work out, it didn't. And, you know, you're sad about it. But my experience matches up exactly with what Cass was saying and with uh, my uncle Bob Marley. He has a song called Coming In From The Cold, and he's, he asked the question. He says, child, why do you look so sad and forsaken? Don't you know that when one door closes, many more is open? And that's my experience in life, too. And, um, you know, we all have different uh, views on things. But, you know, Cass mentioned it. You know, she's where she's supposed to be at. And, uh, you know, if you look at me, you know, going, I didn't choose to go to rural human services or join social work or any of these things. It kind of chose me. And it's very interesting that a door closed for me in Hawaii and led me right back here to where now I'm, you know, back in, basically back in RHS with my friends and with my family. And uh, so if you ever get down, social work students, future social workers, current social workers, keep your head up and listen to Cass and listen to Bob Marley. Uh, when one door closes, another will be open. And maybe that door just wasn't meant for you. Um, with that, thank you. Uh, you can find all of our episodes right here on call-in, or you can search for us on Apple and Spotify after they are recorded. This one should be up there later this afternoon. We're broadcasting live here every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Alaska time. Next Saturday, we'll have Justin McDonald. Uh, he used to live here in Juneau, but he lives in Cake now, uh, another small town here in southeast Alaska. And he used nat uses Native and Indigenous methods and values to help folks with substance abuse, fatherhood, and more. We'll also talk about his incredible and powerful drumming practice. It's going to be great, so make sure you check us out next week, 10 a.m. And the Critical Social Worker is a collaborative effort between the University of Alaska Fairmates Department of Social Work and a Conscious Party Productions. This episode was hosted by Christian Stetler, Deb Knirk, and Heather Shemansky-Lee.
Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. My story, your story.